Welcome to this week's episode of Eye of the Swarm, your place to get inside information on all of your favorite Yellow Jacket sports teams. I'm John Garver, joined by the Big Sound Matt Johnson, and as always, our producer, Elliot Sweary. And I was thinking about it this morning when I, I got up and opened the blinds, Matt. How many people around here got duped thinking winter was done? Because Sunday was really nice, Monday was really, really nice, Tuesday was really nice, and then yesterday winter came back. And suddenly you've got five inches of heart attack snow out there. You know, be ready St. Luke's and Essentia because... (laughs) I don't even consider this kind of snow like snow. I consider this more like slush. Like it was slushing yesterday. It was, it snowed. Yeah. It was definitely snow. And then it turned I, right in the slush. I shoveled it this morning, and it was definitely snow. Okay. But it was it was dense. It was heavy. My mom it used was, to call it heart attack snow as well. Because yeah. When she worked at the hospital, they'd get invariably three or four cardiac arrests from people, usually somebody and above, yeah. that had overexerted themselves trying to pick up what was heart attack snow. Which it's was, impossible not to. Well, and the you water content to, is so high on Right. That, yeah, you, that you would it, have to have like a gardening shovel. Pretty much, yeah. To not exert yourself, and then it would take you four hours to do that. Even when I was a kid and we shoveled this kind of stuff, I hated this this kind of shoveling just because it was like you, you could get so much into the shovel, and then you try to pick it up, and it felt like your biceps were going to tear yeah. off. And then you would just, you know, you, you, you usually with snow, for those of you who still do shovel, <laughs> most people use snowblowers, I feel like, but the technique is, of course, you pick it up and you, you try to fling it somewhere where it's not going to get in the way. Well, trying to fling that stuff, <laughs> it's like, I mean, your rotator cuff comes into play, you get your triceps, you know, everything. <laughs> the, the positive, though, killer workout to start your it day. It is. It is. It is. Really when good I, workout. When I used to uh, shovel this kind of snow, I, I usually was sweating through just about everything Yeah. before I came back in. Um, my sister, because she was small and not super physically strong, was basically no help at all. I mean, she sent us out there, but my sister did a lot of kind of complaining and talking and left it kind of up to me to pull the heavy load. And I can't even say I blame her because trying to shovel this stuff is not fun. No. Um, I mean, Teddy was looking out the window this morning. He wanted out. He wanted to come in. He's got his own little shovel now. Yeah. So he wanted to come out and and help out and everything. But one scoop load was going to weigh more than he does. Right. The good news is that this kind of snow is really good for snowman making. It is. Um, great for snowballs. Snow but and it's also not great for anything else. When it gets to be this time of year and it snows one day and then it's 40 degrees the next, it goes yeah. away very quickly. It does. It which does. I know our, our soccer teams and our baseball team and our softball team and our tennis team are going to be thrilled <laughs> about because they spent last week shoveling off, clearing <laughs> fields and clearing tennis courts and got maybe one practice, maybe two outside, and then bam, here we are well, again. That was just a dress rehearsal. Now they get yeah, the real thing. Back to the field house. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now they get to try it again. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, that's it's... Just one of the symptoms of living in the Northland, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and it, it is kind of like one of those situations, too, where this isn't going to stick real long, but it's going to make things awfully wet and messy. Yeah. Um, I came into work yesterday with the Key Zone programming uh, through the YMCA. When I walked in, it was raining. Yep. It hadn't turned to snow yet. But as the day went on, the kids started looking out the window when we were moving around in the building, and they were both like, they were all saying, oh, yeah, it's really coming down. It looks like a blizzard out there. And I went out and... Um, had a look, and yeah, it wasn't real pleasant walking from the back door of the building to my vehicle, which was on the far side of the parking lot. Um, but we take that risk. I mean, March usually is, I think, uh, historically, could, I think that's our snowiest month, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. We, we get 
copious amounts of snow in this area at that time of year, and it's it's it wasn't even that much. It definitely year. signals yeah. the start of mud season because yeah. once the snow melts and all this moisture is still here, it's going to be a brown soupy mess. Yeah, for a few weeks. Yeah, and this is why I'm also a big proponent of field turf. Is situations like this right? Um, well, it's in this neck of the woods, especially. Yeah, exactly. I mean, natural turf fields up here for baseball, softball, soccer, or football, or any other sport really take a beating. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and it, a lot of the time, it makes the surface unplayable for extended periods of time. The nice thing about this is that whenever this does eventually melt or get cleared, is that the field turf fields will be ready to go almost immediately. Right. Whereas with natural turf, you got to wait for it to dry and. You know, hopefully there's no standing wait, water. And wait for frost to get out of the ground, and right, yeah, you got to wait for the whole stuff. the whole process to go. So, this is where, like I said, having field turf helps. Yep. Um, you know, which is or a hard surface like tennis, where you can just clear it and then hopefully it's dry and then you right. just play on it. Yep. Um, whereas with grass, it's just a, it's just a waiting game <laughs> trying yep. to figure out, you know, when's it going to be actual playable, right. actually playable. You know, and I remember those years where it never got there. And yeah, there yeah, was I mean, two consecutive springs where we had no home baseball games and no home softball games. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, yeah, we went for a well. We we even had a, a period with men's and women's soccer a couple of years ago where we actually played our home games in a whole different state. We had to go across the bridge and play them mm-hmm. at PSS. That was a number of years ago now, but yeah, it was a while back now. Um, but that was back when we were playing our soccer games on natural grass, right? And that was in the fall. Yep. Just to give you an idea of how, you know, how much the grass fields up here just are they're really difficult to maintain and really difficult to keep playable. Yeah, yeah, you know? and I, I, you know, obviously from a cost standpoint, I get it, but it's not necessarily the most practical way to go. No, you know when. It, it's it's like you're not. It's gonna, a long term investment. You're, you're not going to drive a sports car. No. In this area, aside from maybe two or three months a year, it's just not practical. Yeah, everybody drives an and a, I feel SVU that way about grass. SVU, SUV or or a truck. SVU, you got some SVU, uh, yeah. law and order on your mind. Always. It's <laughs> one of my favorite shows. Anyway, um, but uh, yeah, you're either your sports utility or your pickup pretty yep. much up here, um, and things like this, uh, situations like this. You know, that's why. Yep. You know, just the way it is. I mean, you drive a pickup, I drive a uh, SVU. So that's there it is again. SV, yeah. SUV, Matt. SUV. 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 Let's quit talking utility vehicle. Let's quit talking about TV. Sports let's talk vehicle about, utility. Let's I, talk about sports. Let's okay. go. What do you got? Uh, men's basketball concluded their season. We'll lay it off with them. SVU. SVU. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of obsessed with that show. Sorry. Um, men's basketball finished up their season three and four overall. Concluded their campaign with a 71 to 70 loss to Bethany Lutheran. And UMAC tournament quarterfinals at the North Gym in Mankato last Thursday. Um, that seems to be the spot where the Yellow Jackets struggle the most when it comes to the postseason. That's two straight years now. The Jackets have been knocked out of the tournament by the Vikings down in uh, Mankato. Uh, was a close ball game, though, throughout. Jackets led 31-30 at the half. Vikings ended up outscoring them 41-39 in the second half. Eked out the win. The Jackets were down by six with like a minute to go, I want to say, and then made a run all the way back, but a couple free throws late by one of the Vikings' top players, uh, made it a four-point game. And then, uh, unfortunately for UWS, they hit a three as time expired to make it a one-point game. So 71-70 was your final, but the Jackets played pretty well, had four players scoring double figures. Javon Walker, who really came on as the year went on, 20 points. He led the way for UWS, seven out of 14 from the field, six for seven from the stripe. 
Xavier Patterson closed out the campaign with back-to-back double-figure scoring games for him. He had 12 points against Northwestern. He doubled that up with another 12 points against uh, Bethy Lutheran in that tournament loss. Four for eight shooting for Xavier Patterson, two for two from the stripe. Eli Vogel, 11 points, four for nine from the field. Hit half of his six three-pointers. And then Enrique Sanchez, native of Madrid, Spain, 11 points, four for six shooting and three for five from the stripe. So narrow loss, but they played good ball down the stretch. And I think that that was... Really good ball. Yeah. You know, and that's the, I think for them, that's the... Kind of a harbinger of things to come, hopefully. That's the consolation price for the tough season that they had and the, the stopping and starting. Right, yeah. Women's basketball, four and six overall. They also had their season conclude in the opening round of the UMAC tournament. Actually, technically the quarterfinal round, losing to Minnesota Morris seventy-three to sixty-seven at Junger Mills Court in Morris on Thursday. UWS played well that game, uh, led for the majority of it. We're up uh, seventeen to ten after one, thirty-seven to twenty-nine at halftime, and fifty-two to forty-five after three. And I thought, okay, you know, three quarters down. Let's see how they do in the fourth quarter. But then Morris really turned it up. Uh, played really well in the oh, fourth I'd quarter. I'd say 28 points. Yeah. yeah, just couldn't get any stops. Yellow Jackets couldn't get stops defensively in that quarter. Ended up being outscored 28 to 15 in the fourth quarter to allow the Cougars to advance. Kaylin Christian, 22 points for the Jackets, nine for 19 from the field for her. Maddie Sanders, double double, 13 points, 10 rebounds, five for 10 shooting. While Kaya Davies had 11 points on five for 10 shooting. So the Jackets end the campaign at four and six overall. They played better as the year went on too. So another harbinger, hopefully, of things to come next year, quote-unquote, next year with the full schedule, hopefully, knock on wood. Well, Cut. you have as much youth as you have in yeah. those two programs. I mean, they nothing preps you for that like playing games. Right, yeah. And to have that much youth on both sides there and only have a handful of games that you could actually get in, I mean, it's, it's difficult yeah. to find your stride and get used to all this. So, yeah, naturally they were getting better as the season right. went yeah, on, I think. exactly, which I think was good. That's what you want to see is just progress, and both teams definitely made progress as the year went on. Absolutely. Uh, the UMAC actually released their all-conference mentions, by the way, for women's basketball already. Haven't gotten them on the men's side yet, but on the women's side we have uh, Kaya Davies was named All-UMAC second team, while Kaylin Christian was named Amaral Mention All-UMAC, so congratulations to both of them on that. And Ellie Leedstrom was the Yellow Jackets representative on the UMAC sportsmanship team, so she closes out her Yellow Jacket career on the sportsmanship team. So congratulations to her. Tough way to go, though. I yep. feel bad for any seniors. Absolutely. Under these circumstances, it's just very atypical. Yep. You know, abnormal, whatever term you want to use. Yep. Just a really tough way to go. Women's hockey. Um, they played three games last week. Um, it was busy, so we'll get to this pretty quickly. <laughs> Uh, played uh, three games since our last podcast. They lost the first one to UW Stevens Point. That was the regular season finale, three to one. That was played at Westman Arena last Friday, and then defeated Northland College six to two in the opening round of the WIAC tournament at Westman Arena on Monday. So a quick turnaround from Friday to Monday, and then they are currently involved in the uh, WIAC tournament semifinal round, and they played the first game of a two-game set in the semifinal round against UW Eau Claire. Last night in Eau Claire, four to one, they ended up losing. As we record this on a Thursday, that game was played on Wednesday, so yesterday night, or last night, I should say, at Hobbs Ice Arena in Eau Claire. So the Jackets lose two and win one uh, since we were last recording this podcast against Stevens Point in the regular season finale. Jada LeBlanc scored the Yale Jackets' lone goal at fifteen twenty three of the first period. Mackenzie Whalen made twenty one saves against the Pointers. That was kind of a tough luck game for the Jackets because they held a big, healthy. Advantage they shots. played well. Yeah, it was like 41-24. They played well that game. Say. Did you broadcast that one? I did not. Okay, but... I did not. I, the shots I, were really... I went back and watched it. Favor, so. Going, so I had a little bit okay. underneath me going into the playoff game. 
on Monday, and so I went back and watched that one, and they, they played well. Okay. They, I felt like they they definitely deserved better than what they got. Yeah. And because uh, it was forty one twenty four, I think the shots. Yeah, were, yeah. You know, just I mean, penalties were seven two. That's that's tough. Yeah. That's a lot of trips to the box in one one game. Yeah, that's tough. And still though, the maintain a seventeen shot mm-hmm. differential means they played a good solid game. Yeah. Um. So they, even though they lost, they were playing well, and that continued against Northland. Jackets got. Amber Heidenreich with two goals, while Amanda Sargent, Hannah Magnuson, Jenna Curtis, and Jenna Bufflin also scored for UWS in that playoff win against Northland. Mackenzie Whalen, 14 saves and goal for the Jackets. Shots in that one were like 50, 53. It was to, significant, yeah, yeah. 53 to like 16 or yeah, something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. Then against Eau Claire, Megan Dulong scored the Yellow Jackets' lone goal at 52 of the second period on the power play. That actually made it a 1-1 game after two periods. Then the Blue Goals scored three goals in the third period to pick up the win. Four to one. I got the feeling though that that game was a lot closer than no, it was than the score indicated. No, it, it absolutely was. I, okay. I watched that one as well while I was working yesterday, and you know, sounds I, like they played especially well in that second period. The second period was really good. Um, you know, I think they hit two posts in the second period. Jenna Curtis got robbed on a wide open net in the second period. They had some really good chances in that second okay. period, and then you know you get a lousy bounce early in the third where, you know, one goes off of your defender's shin and lands flat right on the tape for one of their players to, to go ahead and hammer it in. and um, Vulcanized you know, rubber it, on ice, it, man. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> tough sometimes, man. And, they, you know, I felt like they didn't get a couple bounces that, that they needed. Eau Claire did. And, you know, that, that makes all the difference. Well, and hockey is one of those games where you think about it. Bounces are such an important part of the game, mm-hmm. whether it's a bounce off of a post or a bounce off of a skate, whether it's mm-hmm. a bounce off of a pad by the goaltender, a bounce off of a board, yep. you know, a bounce off the ice. You know, there's so many bounces. And it, some of that's just because, like I said, the puck is literally vulcanized rubber. Yep. But, you know, it sometimes it does just, it just comes down to that. You know, little bounce here, little bounce there, makes a difference between winning and losing a game. And yep. unfortunately, it sounds like the Jackets just didn't get the breaks they needed. So yeah, that was it. That was yeah. it. That would be frustrating. But for they played well. Think, but they, they, they played. They well. played well. That's all you can ask for. Yep. Um, so they are in action tomorrow, playing game two of that semifinal series against Eau Claire. That game was originally scheduled for two p.m. Now it's going to be a five. Correct. And we found that out just before we started recording this. Yes. So, um, yeah. Change up? I don't know. That is that a COVID thing? I wonder. I have no idea. Um, they are originally anticipating hosting the women and the men. So the one was going to be at out. two. One was going to be at seven. But their men got knocked out last night. Oh, okay. So they moved it from two to five. Okay. Correct. The Jackets do win, but by the way, tomorrow they will also play the mini game, and then they would advance to play the winner of um, Stevens Point in River Falls. River Falls. Yep. Yeah. In the championship round, a lot of course has to happen for them. But the Jackets, for right. now, we know are playing tomorrow, five p.m. And so hopefully they will be able to do that. Anyway, men's hockey. They uh, saw a whole lot of UW Stout since we were last They on. did. Yeah. They and, did. And uh, three times, and three times they beat the Blue Devils. They so did. it was a nice yes. little run against UW Stout here for Yellow Jackets. Um, won three games, as we mentioned, all three of them against Stout since our last podcast. Defeating the Blue Devils 6-3 to last Wednesday at Westman Arena before downing Stout 4-1 to in the regular season finale at the Finetti Community Center. And Menominee on Friday, and then the Jackets turned the triple play on the Blue Devils, defeating them 2-1 to one in the WAC tournament opening round at Westman Arena on Monday. So, team looked good, you thought, in those three games? Yeah, I thought they did. They, I okay. thought they looked real solid on uh, on Wednesday. You know, they, they did everything they were supposed to do on Wednesday. They played a good, solid game Wednesday. On okay. Friday, 
they had a really good start. The first period was one of the best periods I've seen. Okay. Um, then Stout came out with a really big push to start the second period. They got that goal three, just over three minutes in to tie the game at that point. And Superior answered right back okay. and had a good push and scored 19 seconds after that to retake the well, lead. Well, that's what you want to see. And that was, yeah. it was a great answer to that. And, you know, I think a real deflator for, for Stout. And then on Monday was just a really good game. Monday it was, like it. I saw your tweets. Monday was a good game. Um, I mean, it took till late in the second period for a goal to be scored. And fortunately, it was a superior goal. Stout scored early in the third period on a power play to tie it. And then, again, Superior had a really good push, won the ensuing faceoff, got it back in the offensive zone, and a few minutes later, he took the lead for good. It sounded like, too, also looking at the stats of that third game, there were plenty of chances both ways, too. It wasn't like, oh, yeah. they, like there was just a dearth of offense. I mean, no, it was, yeah. no, it was there. The goaltenders were very, very good okay. on both sides. That's good because it was like there was almost like eighty or ninety combined shot eighty I guess compared yeah. to combined shots between them like yeah. eighty eight wasn't there yeah something, something like that because yeah. I think it was like forty one thirty four or something like that okay we'll get into the particulars of each of these games on that Wednesday game that John was just talking about the Jackets got two goals from Jordan Martin and additional tallies from Troy York Arthur Turchiev Dylan Johnson and also Troy McTavish so the Jackets spreading the scoring around that's always good to see Miles mm-hmm. Hector got a start in goal made twenty three stops. And then Friday's return matchup to close out the regular season, the Jackets got two goals from Chad Lopez and additional goals from David Kaplan and Colton Bates. Again, Miles Hector in the pipes, 31 saves. And then in Monday's opening round, Wyack tournament game versus Blue Devils, Dylan Johnson scored the Yellow Jackets' first goal with Chad Lopez scoring the winner, while Miles Hector, again, solid in goal. 34 saves on 34 shots. Or 34 saves on 35 shots, excuse me. And he was great in the third. Was he? He was great in the third. Yeah. Oh, they put a lot gosh. of pressure on, on that? They must have. Yeah, they did. Okay. They did. Looking for and, that tire? Yeah. yeah. And he was, he was really, really good. And the save he made in the final minute was, that was clutch. Oh, it was nice. a clutch stop. It was a difficult save. Okay. And, yeah, he he was really, really good, really, really good in that game. Nice, nice. And we'll talk more about them in a little bit. By the way, they had a their semifinal game against UW River Falls, which was scheduled for last night at Hunt Arena in River Falls, canceled due to COVID nineteen protocol. Yep. So now it's on to the all the marbles portion of the schedule for the Yellow Jackets. Um, mm-hmm. We'll talk more about that in the final segment, but interesting way to go about it. It I mean, is, you know, yeah. and you just you feel terribly for River Falls yeah. and the players and the coaches and, and everybody there. Yeah. You know, and, and I know there was there was some anger from from people about it and, you know, not understanding why it, why it wasn't postponed and why it was canceled. Well, but you know that's been the kind yeah, of the and I, I I said something on on Twitter yesterday that the the broadcaster at Eau Claire was talking about during the uh, the second intermission of the women's game where he was basically pleading with people going this isn't a situation where you want a, the where you you're, you're looking for a pound of flesh on this the, the, there isn't one right you know that situations come up with this every team has had something yeah. That has affected them with this. This is not something you. This need. is not no. a, a situation where you want to go and, and and find that pound of flesh, whether it's with the league office or players or coaches or or whatever. This is just COVID happening. Right. Yeah. And it happened to catch them the day of a game, and the WIAC had to make decisions, and it's unfortunate. 
Yeah. It's unfortunate because they're the number one seed coming into this playoff. Yeah. You know, they wanted to play. Obviously, our guys wanted to play. Our guys in won, their own building. Our guys won in that building. Right. You know, earlier this year. And they the only loss they've had in their last five games was when River Falls beat them here. Right. So I, I think they, you know, everybody wanted to play that game. Right. But situations come up, yep. and it's it's unfortunate. It just and didn't I, happen. I feel yeah. terribly for everybody down there. Yeah, it's a real bummer. But mm-hmm. the Jackets will be playing for all the marbles, like I said. Uh, I think tomorrow. But we'll talk more about that in, a, uh, in the final um, segment. Meanwhile, uh, the highlight of the week, I guess you could say, men's indoor track and field won their fifth straight. Conference champs. Yep, UMAC indoor track and field title, and they did it convincingly. Convincingly, yes. Yeah, at the Burns Wellness Commons in Duluth last Saturday. I mean, we had Glenn Drexler on beforehand and it went along with Tyler Finger for a nice roundtable conversation on this podcast. Um, they seemed like they were confident. Glenn was a little bit not sure what his lineup was going to look like, as he indicated, but uh, whatever buttons he pushed, they certainly did work out well um, because the Yellow Jackets were never really in any danger of not nope. winning their fifth straight title. Nope. Um, it was, I don't want to say a complete blowout, but pretty close. Yeah. Um, Jackets finished with 143 points as a team. The next closest was Northwestern. With 89, so 54-point margin for the Yellow Jackets, which is a big number. That's significant. Yeah, because I think the next ones were like 87 and like 85 points. Yep. So the Jackets won by a large margin. Yeah, they won handily. Yeah, they won very handily. Uh, Tyler Finger, who we had on the podcast last week, congratulations to him. He won the 800 meters in a time of 2 minutes and 4.85 seconds. Brett Goplin won the 60-meter hurdles in 9.08 seconds. Andrew Gabarkowitz, who was the Yellow Jackets' leading scorer on the day, he had 24 points. For the team, he won the pole vault with a height of 12 feet, 1.5 inches, cleared, and then the four by 200 meter relay team of Mitchell Peterson, Stephen Pearson, Ethan Westermeyer, and Lennon Shimon took home the four by 200 meter relay with a time of one minute 35.88 seconds. Greg Barkowitz was UWS's top scorer, as I mentioned, with the 24 points. He also finished second in the 400 meters and third in the 200 meters. So he was solid across the board. Uh, the UMAC also released their all uh, conference. Performances and awards for the year. Finger, Goplin, Grabarkowitz, Peterson, Pearson, Westermeyer, and Shimon were all named all UMAC for their performances. As were Derek Moe in the 800 meters. He finished second to his teammate Tyler Finger. And then Tanner Lee in the weight throw with his distance of 48 feet, 1.75 inches. I think to make all UMAC, you have to be in the top five. Is that what it is? Okay. So um, all those guys were named to the all UMAC squad for 2021. And Glenn Drexler was named UMAC indoor coach of the year for the fifth time in his career. So congratulations, coach. Well done. Yeah. Well done. Well, I mean, they sounded confident, but at the same time, you never know when you go into a, there was a cautious optimism about it. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure that they anticipated performing as well as they did. Right. Um, cause I mean, in reading the article, it seemed like, um, Glenn was, I don't want to say pleasantly surprised, but. It seems like he would. They did better even than he thought they would. Um, but there were a lot of PRs apparently in there as well. So when you get a, a, a string of PRs from your men, you're probably going to do pretty darn well, especially for a a, uh, a program that has won four straight and now five straight uh, indoor titles. So Correct. congratulations to the men again on the season. Time to go outside and play now, though, guys. Yep. <laughs> we'll see how they do in the outdoor season. Yep. Women's softball, congratulations to them. They had a nice week. They did. I watched both those games. They played really well mm-hmm. in both those games. I was really impressed. Picked up the first two wins of 2021, in, in case you couldn't tell by the way I was talking. They shut out Augsburg twice by scores of 7 nothing and 8 nothing last Saturday at the Augie Dome 
in Minneapolis in game one. The Yellow Jackets got two hits each from Olivia Bancroft Hart and Dabriana Horvath while scoring three runs in the second and fifth innings. They added an additional tally in the seventh. But the real story, in the circle, Taylor Kramer took a no-hitter into the sixth inning of that game. And she pitched a complete game, giving up just two hits, walked three, and struck out five. That was game one. The Jackets then run-ruled the Aggies in game two. That was only a six-inning contest. Jackets scored three times in the fifth, five times in the sixth to win by run rule. Tiffany Kirk, Kayla Kramer, and Taylor Kramer all had two hits for the game for UWS. Melania Medill, meanwhile, pitched a complete game along just two hits, one walk, and five <coughs> strikeouts. So Great pitching. Yeah, really good. I was really impressed. I mean, I don't know if you watched either one of those games, but they had the camera from center field looking in, and both uh, Medill and Taylor Kramer were around the plate all day long. I mean, and right on the black. Nothing that was Perfect. Really, yeah, right <laughs> around where they wanted to be. Um, and as a result, Taylor Kramer was named UMAC Pitcher of the Week for her performance, so congratulations to her. Mm-hmm. But the team looked really good. Good. I thought they looked really good. Um, and they were clean I know the Coach field. Was, was, she was happy. Yeah, I mean, she. I think that this team is going to play with a lot of energy because mm-hmm. Coach Fracker has a lot of energy. Congratulations to her on her first two wins, by the way, as a head yep. coach. Um, but they they looked pretty confident and pretty, you know, pretty, pretty excited to be out there and playing well. And, uh, yeah, they played very well. So we'll see if they can keep that up because they've got a couple more games this week. Men's and women's tennis were idle last week, so they didn't play. The other baseball, although baseball's playing right now. They're probably done by now. Are they done by now? They're probably done okay. by now. But, uh, yeah, they were actually playing today against Concordia Moorhead. Uh, the early morning doubleheader. 7 a.m. first pitch? Yeah, 7 a.m. first pitch against Concordia Moorhead down at U.S. Bank Stadium. We'll talk more about them because they've got another 7 and 9 a.m., 7 and 9.30 a.m. double dip scheduled later on this week. But, wow. I want to dig on that a little bit when, when we have – Coach Poofall on the show, you know, it's because it's, it's not his choice. I mean, no, they, I, they basically tell you this is when you're going to have your games. Find your opponent. Yep. And I, I just I, I I'm curious to know how the prep goes when you have a 7 a.m. start yeah. and your bus is leaving at three o'clock in the morning. Well, you and I have been trying to wrap our heads around this for a couple of weeks now. Yeah. And so I I look forward to having him on the show here in the next week or two and, and being able to have that conversation. Well, yeah, because it's a full conversation to have. And I, you and I were kind of talking about this off air. I don't even know what kind of mindset I would have at that time of day. Right. Me either. In terms of me either, especially if you're the starting pitcher uh, or the starting catcher trying to prepare. I mean, you're doing your warm up tosses at 6 a.m. In an empty sixty-eight thousand seat football stadium in the right. middle of Minneapolis, <laughs> um, it just—it's it, something about it just feels strange. No, it absolutely does. It <laughs> absolutely does. So, and I would have a hard time with it, I think. But yeah, you know, I'm right. almost fifty now, so right. I have a hard time with a lot of stuff. Right. <laughs> there is one team that I missed in there. Sorry, and that would be women's volleyball. We'll get to them. They won a pair of matches last week, defeating Northland College three to one last Wednesday at the Kendrigan Center in Ashland. Before downing Minnesota Morris in a really nice win for them, three to two, over Morris on Saturday in Morris, Minnesota. Marathon five setter, and that one was about as even as it gets. Yep, I looked at the numbers on that one. Across yeah. the board, yeah, across the board. Against the Northland Jackets, won by set scores of thirteen twenty five. So they got a little of a slow start, but then rebounded quickly. Twenty five twelve, twenty five thirteen, and twenty five twenty. Lexi Preed, thirteen kills. Megan Holes had twenty one assists. Haley Atwood had sixteen digs. And against Morris. Jackets won by set scores of 16, 25, 25, 15, 25, 22, 25, 27, and 15, 12. And just to let you know how close that was, both teams hit 193 <laughs> for the match. Both had identical hits. dead results. on. Yeah, it was right down the middle. Lexi Preet again for the Yellow Jackets, 18 kills. She had 15 digs. Cassie Teff, 15 kills, 12 digs. 
Galen Plouts, 11 kills. Megan Holes, 48 assists, 14 digs. Haley Atwood, 13 digs. And Am Bremnus chipped in with 11 digs as well. And all that led to uh, Lexi Pre being named UMAC Player of the Week. So congratulations to her. So we've had two Player of the Weeks this week. And the Yellow Jackets uh, will be back in action this week with a couple more matches, and I will be on the air with them. So Indeed. That was the week that was. Um, a little bit less hectic than last week. Still hectic, though. Still hectic, Still though. hectic, but not as, as much as last week. No, and, no. And probably not as much as a couple of weeks from now will be, but... Well, well, you know, uh, we'll we don't have to. That. I don't we'll have to worry that about that yet. Come to it. Yeah. I don't have to worry about that yet. Yeah. But the uh, one thing, one team that is in the middle of the the hecticness, if that's a word, it is now. The hecticness that chaos. is going on. We'll the, just call it we'll chaos. go with chaos. Okay, okay. the chaos yeah. happening right now is their Yellow Jacket women's hockey team is they're in the midst of a playoff series, kind of a rare day off between the two games, and we'll talk about that and a few other things with their head coach, Dan Laughlin, who's going to join us next. Uh, that's coming up on the next segment of Eye of the Swarm right after this. Can I borrow the sports page? Are we sure we're ready for this expansion? Of course we're ready for it. It's a great idea. Let's celebrate with a vacation. I'm thinking <laughs> Hawaii. We're ready for you. Is it okay if my friend comes with? Of course. Imagination's always welcome here. Bring us your best ideas. Let's see how we can help. National Bank of Commerce. Imagination's welcome. We're back on Eye of the Swarm, and we are joined by Yellow Jacket women's head hockey coach Dan Laughlin, who is presented with a unique opportunity this year because of the COVID playoff that it's a two-game series, but it's a separated two-game series with the day off in the middle. So we appreciate you coming in on that day off in between game one and game two of your semifinal, Dano, and you know, let's let's talk a little bit about the postseason uh, semifinal. Number one yesterday was a a four one loss to Eau Claire, but your team played a heck of a hockey game. And I, I was talking to you before we went on the air. Second period, especially, was really good. It was, uh, you know, just of course when you, the urgency is always number one, and uh, having the early game too. Um, I think the players kind of enjoyed because it takes the ante- anticipation away from the game. So, um, but. Yeah, it was a it was a great start. We had a great start. Um, first two minutes, I think we had three shots right away on net. Uh, we got a penalty within the first two minutes of the game. Um, but again, uh, we killed it. It was great. We had momentum. I thought eighty percent of the game. It was just we would make one of those games, Garves, and you know it. Like you just make one bad decision on the ice, um, and it was in the back of the net. So. Um, but you know, down one zip after after the first, we tie it in the second, and um, you know, and then we just kept playing hard, and we did. I thought we had momentum the majority of the game. Um, we just did not get the the bounces we needed. It's it's a tough place to play. They're they're obviously a very good team. They're the number one seed coming into the conference tournament, so they're a good team and a tough building to play in. Yeah, bounces were, were tough to come by. Sometimes they can be. Um, how do you how do you fight that? How do you battle that within the minds of the players? Because you're thinking in that they're probably thinking that too. And geez, we just can't get a bounce here. How do you how do you get past that? Well, I mean, it, it's you just 
it's kind of you know the cliche thing but you just you just keep working hard and that's what we just that's kind of the culture we've built and um our group is that they're a blue collar group um you know they they don't get you know everyone's going to get frustrated if they hit a pipe or you know something like that happens but um their mentality is just let's get back to work and you know you can sit and kind of talk about it after the game or whatever but you got to live in the present and and they do they do and they work hard and uh you know they they persevered all game um even you know some referee calls whatever they just kept going forward it sets up an interesting scenario now um because the day off in the middle do you you, you kind of get a, a rare opportunity to make some additional adjustments, do some things differently. Obviously, you get to come home, you get to sleep in your own beds, you get to eat, you can practice, you can break down film, do some things that you normally wouldn't do during a playoff series. So how do you use this to better serve you for the second game? I think uh, it, it is nice to have that instead of the back-to-back uh, mini, you know, with the mini game too. So it's nice having the day off, um, and we are taking a day off for us is – you know, just being the numbers so short on our bench and, you know, um, you know, as we talked about earlier, they were exhausted after the game and they left it all out there. Um, we decided today just to take a day off. Um, you know, I'm sure they'll be watching some film on their own. But really, our game plan, we know what we're doing. Nothing's nothing's changing. Um, you know, it's just we're ready to go. We're just, uh, you know, we got to put that puck in the back of the net. You've talked, you've mentioned a couple times now, and just a couple questions about being exhausted, leaving it all out there. It's been a very unique year for your program, depth-wise, hasn't it? It has. Yeah, it's been. Uh, you know, the whole year, just you're so excited for it. You know, we had a great roster at the beginning of the year. <laughs> you know, you're just really anticipating. You know, just the new freshmen coming in, getting that experience, and even building for next year, you know. And uh, and then, you know, with the COVID and all that, it hit, and, you know, things are canceled, postponed, players this, players that. And, um, you know, and then it, from then on, it was just a time of adjustments. And um, with with all that came, you know, we lost a lot of players, you know, this season to that. So um, the short roster is... is it, like Nelly would say, it is what it is, but uh, you just, we persevere through it. That's always been one of our key words this year is just, you know, keep persevering through and working hard and you, we're going to do something, you know, something's going to fall your way. So um, we've just kind of held that mindset and, uh, you know, I thought about it walking the dog this morning, just like if we had the full roster that we had, things would be different. Um, Eau Claire is basically, our, I think, our team, but they just, they're rolling out four lines you know, to our, you know, really two, one and a half. So um, for what we're doing, I think it's, it's on their part, it's a tremendous effort. I've asked every coach who's joined us here this year, this, this question, I'll, I'll throw it at you too. This has been a unique year, an interesting year, a difficult year. A lot of things rolled into one. You know, you've, you've probably stopped and started your season three, four times since everybody arrived here on campus. How have you navigated that with, with your club? You know, it's, again, you just go back to that culture piece. Um, you know, just yesterday we had a player out of the lineup and you just, 
you know, now we're double shifting someone on the power play. I mean, you just, you, you can't, there's no time to get frustrated or, uh, you know, get angry. You just, you, you just start preparing for what you got to get done. So again, that's that perseverance mindset as a coaching staff, um, you know, as players, it, it, that's what's just, that's the only way you can go if we want to, you know, if we want to do what we want to do. So, um, again, that's just keep persevering. You're a coach that typically leans pretty hard on your upper class. Uh, this group of seniors has come in. They've played a lot of hockey over four seasons, and not just in terms of, yeah, I suited up for the game. I mean, a lot of hockey played, yeah. all situations. It's a, it's a special group for you, isn't it? It is. Like uh, I think we talked about it before the Northland game that, you know, this group of seniors was kind of the group that that got us back going on the right track. Um, we had some tough times, you know, about two or three years, maybe two. But that group kind of got the competition back. You know, they, they brought back that swagger a little bit of who we are and what we want to be. And um, they've carried it through all these years. And so, it, you know, we do. It's, it's no secret. Uh, those group of seniors are the ones right now that are, you know, leading the way by far. So um, they've done a fantastic job. Very proud of them. It's not just one. I mean, right. they all oh, yeah. five of them were on the score sheet on Monday in the win yeah. over Northland. You know, they were uh, very noticeable yesterday. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not just one member of that group that's getting it done. It's every single person in that class. Yeah, I mean, they're they're probably playing half a game. So, um, you know, power play, penalty kill, five and five, four and four, whatever it is, they're they're pretty much out there. So, um, yeah, they're 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 going to be the ones that uh, you know. If if things go well for us tomorrow, it's going to be because of that group. I, yeah, in youth hockey, you no problem playing half a game. But right. you think about it when you get to the college level. That's just that to me is crazy. Yeah, I, I don't. No, it is. I and couldn't imagine. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, especially when uh, you know, like you said, the other team and you know, Eau Claire, give them credit. They've they've maintained their roster from you know start to finish. Um, they may have had a couple um, opt out, but. Uh, you know, for for the most part, they had people sitting in the stands that I saw last night. So that's there's you know if we have people in the stands, that's quite a luxury for us <laughs> right now. So um, yeah, no, it just it's a good job by your group. You know, you talked about your senior class, Dano, and John and I both know all of your seniors well because they've been with the program for so long. Um, logged a lot of ice time uh, in their four years, but. I would think in a situation like this where you have a COVID season, where everything is so condensed, where, like you said, you, you start and you stop, you know, maybe two, three times before you finally hit the ice for an actual game, then it's condensed into one month, and then you got to go and play playoff games. How much does it help to have that senior class to go through something like this that is so unprecedented when you are looking at them as the balance? I mean, how much did that senior class help kind of, all right, study the ship, you know, we'll get through it, and then we're going to eventually start playing some hockey and get into the playoffs, and then gives ourselves a chance to at maybe winning a conference title. Right. Uh, you know, again, it's just whenever you get a, a good group of upperclassmen or veterans and, you know, any team for that matter, there's going to be uh, stability in the room. And so I think, you know, between the coaching staff and that senior class, we talked about it, and, and they knew, you know, as soon as it all the COVID went down, they knew it was going to be a, a different year you know yep. like what John said with the stops and starts and all that so um you know we just needed them to show 
you know, even the, the underclassmen, the freshmen, just like, let's just keep going. Let's just keep working. Um, again, I go back to our culture. It's pretty good. It's a pretty, it's a living culture that we are in and, uh, and having that foundation and the seniors there. I mean, it, it that's what's kind of kept us going here. Well, it's been just such a bizarre, you know, season altogether for everybody. Every right. athlete on this campus has felt it right. at one way, shape, or form. Every coach has felt it one way, shape, or form. Um, you know, it's difficult to kind of put this year into a wrapper and say this is what it is because I feel like I was kind of going through it with some in my own head the other day what I would classify these, you know, this 2021 campaign as like it's almost like an appetizer before an actual meal because it feels like it's kind of a lead-in to what could happen in 21-22. And I don't know if you felt the same way, Daniel, but it's kind of one of kind of those things. It feels like it's a, like a, like a, just a taste of what we could have had instead of having the full meal. I mean, and that's the best analogy I can come up with. I don't know, John, if you feel the same way or Daniel. I just hope that way. meal's not coming from the Roadkill Cafe. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, but I mean, on a, on a bigger kind of metaphorical scale, it does kind of feel like more like, we just kind of got a taste of what we could have had, had things gone regularly. And it is, it's, uh, you know, it, it's very easy to treat this as a throwaway year. Um, you know, but we do have two seniors in there that this is their last hockey. And, uh, and that's kind of been known throughout the room too. Um, they've expressed it. And again, uh, you know, with this group, like COVID or not, when, when that puck drops, it's like, that's the last thing that's in their mind. So, right. I mean, it, it, you know, it's, uh, it's hard not to just kind of fold, you know, fold in the towel and let's just, all right, next year is going to be good and everything. I, that's, that's definitely got to, you know, it's going to be there in people's heads. Um, let's just wait till next year. But, um, again, this group, they want to do something this year. Um, I think the, the freshman class are seeing perseverance, in the front row right now. So, I mean, it, it's going to pay off by the attitude we've had to treat this season as if it was a normal season. And for the most part, they have. Because, I mean, you know, John, we know when you lace up the skates, you know, whatever's kind of going on in your life, it, it kind of gets shut down for a little bit. And, um, and I think the players use that um, kind of concept to get away. You mentioned two of them that you, this is it for them and they're going to be moving on. Do you have an indication of people in the room? that are potentially going to take advantage of that, that additional year that the NCAA awarded? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not asking you to name names, no, but, no, um, to, we're expecting three of the seniors to come back. We hope, um, obviously things may change. You never know. You just never know. But, um, you know, two of them are moving on to kind of, you know, with their academic careers and such. So, um, so, I mean, like we talked about, for those two that, like, this is their last tilt here to go around, um, everyone knows that, and everyone's doing their best to give them the best right out. Well, it's such an atypical senior year for every senior class yeah. because, like I said, the NCAA has granted a waiver, so they're mm -hmm. able to come back if they choose to. But I feel like at the D3 level, it's more of a thing because at the D1 level, if, for the most part, when you're just talking about scholarship money, most of those kids will take advantage of that. They'll go for a master's program because they're usually at big schools where they, you know, they can continue their education or whatever. Um, but at D3, it really is a unique situation. I mean, these athletes are here, by and large, to get their degrees. I mean, they play their sports as well, obviously, and they want to excel in those. But, you know, it's a tough decision for them if they are going to graduate in four years and then have a fifth year that they can play 
you know, it kind of puts them in a situation where it's like, well, what are we going to do? You know, because well, we're not on scholarship. Right. You know, so it it becomes a question, you know, what do these seniors have to do? And it's 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 a very atypical position for a senior to be in at this time of the year, especially with playoffs and everything. And because you're usually looking at it as, well, this this is going to be the end or, you know, we're either going to win or we're not. And then my career will be over. Well, that's not the case this year for the senior class. They have a choice to make. Right. So it's a very different kind of situation. And, you know, John, I don't know if you've seen with the men's team, if those guys have been talking about. And Dano, I know it sounds like, like you know, your seniors, um, you know, the five of them, you know, it's been a real discussion that they've had maybe with themselves or between each other. And, you know, are we going to come back? I don't know. Well, I, I think it, you know, again, from a coaching standpoint with recruiting, um, and it, it does, it goes all the way to Division One, and it trickles down to us, you know, the, just the whole recruiting process. Uh, for the women's side, I can't speak of the men's, but for the women's side, as it has turned upside down with the Division One coming back. And, you know, there's a lot of players, a lot of really nice players out there right now that are seniors in high school that aren't committed anywhere yet. So, I mean, it's been a real interesting recruiting season for us because normally those, you know, seniors are locked in a long time ago. But right now with this whole, you know, uh, free season, it, uh, it, it, Recruiting as a whole has whole new dynamics to it. I imagine, you know, and somebody asked me this question about on, on the men's side of things, and, you know, my, my thought is for one, maybe two years, you're going to see some very, very good players trickle down to Division Three because especially in hockey with there being no Division Two, right, to separate the, the, the two. You've got the Division One kids who potentially will stick around. Right. So those jobs aren't opening up, meaning those Division One recruits in high school, junior, whatever it may be, who would be Division One players, aren't going to have a place to play. Right. So they're at that level. So that's going to trickle down for a year or two until this starts to shake itself out again. And, I mean, it's it's really going to be a boon for Division Three hockey, I believe. It is, and it's already... It's already happening. I mean, just hearing of you know players coming in next year for other teams, our team, um, it's it's happening. So um, there's a big wave right now of you know maybe some Division One players who thought next year, all right, here's my opportunity. But now, you know, those seniors are coming back, and so they're going, all right, you know, I'm out of here. And so I mean, there is a big wave of uh, of those of those players coming down in the, to the Division Three level. The other thing you got to be mindful of too. You touched on it with scholarship dollars, and if you're a senior in your fourth year at a Division One school, you may not have a scholarship available to you in right. year number five. So you have to make that decision there as well. And I, I've commented that I, I just I hate how Division One hockey will will commit these kids at 12, 13, 14 years old because right. I just don't think that's prudent. But I wondered if this is a way for all of that to be reset because now you're going to have a bunch of coaches going, boy, I'd really like to take that kid who's available right now, but I committed my my yeah. money for this this particular season three years ago, so I don't have anything to work with. I mean, it's, it's just going to create a, a litany of interesting situations and decisions that are going to have to be made, and the D3 schools are going to benefit tremendously. Yeah, I think so. I mean, for, for next year, our recruiting, it's probably the the deepest recruiting class we've had so far. In my, I, in my career. And I know that you typically have that buttoned up fairly early. Oh, yeah. 
But oh. this could be a year where this stretches into like the men's side, June, July, because you're going to have players waiting till the last moment to see if that Division One opportunity is going to come along. Yeah, right so, now we have. Uh, I mean, there's two defensemen that that we got our you know hands on as close as we can um, that should be playing Division One, um, but th- the opportunities, like you said, just aren't there. So well, and that's so tough for recruits too. Because mm-hmm. if you're like that player that is right on that cusp of, I could be a really, really good D3 player, and I may be, you know, a borderline Division One player where I'm going to get some scholarship dollars, you're kind of on the fence. Right. Until those D1 schools can come to you and say, look, I haven't got the money for you. You know, like that's, bottom line is I don't have it. And it's because, you know, I have five seniors coming back next year because of the waiver. And they're already on scholarship, and I'm not going to take away their money, especially if they're high-level contributors. You know, and, and so there are a lot of, like you said, high school players, both boys and girls, I'm sure, that are like, well, you know, not so much on the, on the boys' side because a lot of them commit early. But even them coming in, it's like, well, I mean, I, I'm not going to have to play another year of juniors now because there's no space. There's not enough room on the roster unless I want to come and, you know, pay my own way for a year I don't know right you know it, it's the money issue I think a thing I think on the guy's side having juniors having that option to play you know might you know take away those one or two years where this recruiting is is crazy but on the girl's side there's you know there's no junior that's, right you come yeah. out of high school and you're in college and and right now they're coming into you know really some tough decisions to make has it been difficult recruiting too because games started so late games are limited you know i know i know you've spent time in canada over the years and depending right. on what province they're in they you know like manitoba where it was very fertile recruiting ground for you they're not playing at all right you know you, you go out for the west british columbia is trying to start alberta just started so how, how difficult has that been it, it has been difficult and uh um you know i think just through connections a lot of players, you know, using their, you know, friends back home, and um, it's been a lot of Zoom calls, and, and uh, a lot all the all the games are, you know, you can get them easy now on computers and stuff. So it's been a, it's been a video recruiting year, um, and really, it's it's uh, it's gone quite well for us to be to be honest with you. So I mean, it's um, yeah, it's been different, but I, I think with the Zoom too, you you get more of a one-on-one with them. Like you go see them and talk to them after a game. It's you meet them and you're, you're face to face, but that zoom, you just have more time to answer questions and you know, they're always hurrying to get on a bus or something like that. So it's been nice to get parents involved more right away. Um, let them know what, you know, UW Superior is all about. So, um, that's, you wonder now if you go, but you know, if everything goes back to the way it was is, you know, how much is this video stuff zoom in and all that going to kind of, stick with us so um i think it's going to be in everyone's tool belt moving forward i have a feeling it's going to be a big part of it oh i, I yeah agree. I, I it's not going away no I, I think that that's you know of the limited amount of positives that have come out of covid i think the zoom phenomenon is going to stick and my dad's a lawyer and he travels quite a bit depending on what client he's working with and he said i've cut down a ton on what have what would have been trips I would have to make by just being able to go on Zoom. I can talk to a guy in Seattle. I don't have to get on a plane and fly to Seattle to see him like we used to have to do. 
you know, for a meeting. We can just do a conference, you know, via Zoom and get everyone in on the meeting all over, you know, from different cities and all over the place. No one has to just come together. Right. You know, and so he said it's it's been a boon for us that way because we've saved a lot of travel expense. Um, I happen to be someone who likes to be face-to-face with somebody when I'm talking to them. But I think for recruiting and stuff like that, especially depending upon what your travel budget is, I mean, it's gonna be a, that's going to be a big thing, and I think it is going to stick. I think it will stick across the board. You know, in every sport, I think that coaches are going to take full advantage of that and use Zoom as much as possible. Is it going to be advantageous internationally? Because if you start talking about Canadian players, you're dealing with the border being closed and you not being able to get to them, that them not being able to get to you. I mean, has that been advantageous as you talk to players north of the border? Yeah, I mean, uh, next year we'll have maybe three, I think, hopefully three. Um, we got two for sure, one hopefully is going to be committing here soon. But it has been with the Zoom, it's – it's. Uh, um, you know, the players, some of the players from Canada that are on the team now are, are, you know, they're reporting back to them, like, you know, here's what the school seems like and stuff like that. So they're kind of getting that feel without being on campus. And then with the Zoom, talking with them and their parents and, you know, just answering questions, it, it really gives them, you know, that a pretty good scope of what this place is all about for hockey and, and the education. So, um, but I mean, I think everyone you know, wants to come down and they, you know, they want that visit. Uh, so with the Canadians, you know, it's been hard. It's been tough. It's yeah. been real tough. Um, so they're kind of just going more on, you know, what other players down here are experiencing and stuff like that. So. I couldn't imagine committing someplace sight unseen. Yeah. yeah I, and I talked with Mass Fukushima last yeah, week. I heard that, yeah. yeah. And, and he, in 1971, obviously, it's a considerable amount of time ago, but he committed here sight unseen. He had never seen the campus, had never been to the city or anything. It was a friend of his was coming, and he said, ah, okay, I guess I'll go there too, after he had already turned down the coach who asked him to come once before. So I couldn't imagine being in that situation of going someplace sight unseen. Yeah, and I think, again, it's it's leaning on friends that are here or family members. Um, you know, hopefully we have a, a sister of one of the players on the men's team that hopefully will be here next year or so from Canada. Um, and she's kind of leaning on him, you know, to describe. And parents have been here, and and so, uh, you know, they're giving her a pretty good picture of what it's all about. That was, I think, something that came up, I know, in the college football recruiting scene when these kids were all, a lot of them were, you know, top 250 recruits across the board were committing to Alabama and Ohio State and some of these other places. But they were doing it almost virtually because there was no – way to physically be on campus at the time so that was a big debate that was brought up you know how much of these commitments going to stick you know are the kids really comfortable with their decisions and so on and so forth um but i think that that conversation now like you said the trickle down is for every ncaa school and naia for that matter across the board is to try to convince a kid to commit somewhere i know i would not have had I gone sight unseen, I would have kept my my recruiting open for sure, because I'm just one of those people. I need to see it and experience it to know fully what I'm committing to, you know. And John, I don't know if you and Dano, when you were a player, you know, the recruiting process was. I would never have been able to pull the trigger sight unseen. That would not have been something I would have done. I don't know if you guys would have done that or not, but like, I mean, would you have, John? I know. Nope. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. But I, I know guys that did. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I think the guys that don't or the girls that don't, it's because they their friends are giving a pretty good picture of what it's all about. And yeah. And uh, yeah. I want to. You mentioned as a player, so I want to. I want to jump into this quick because I didn't know this until yesterday, mm. listening to the uh, the commentary of your game at Eau Claire, that you and Maddie Lowe and the men's coach down there were teammates. Yes. Playing, you know, during your pro hockey career. So, yep. what do you remember about Maddie as a player? Because he was a senior when I was a freshman, so I only played against him one time. He, uh, I mean, he was a very skilled hockey player. And I remember that season, um, he was really good on our power play. It's like he was the he got every power play goal we had. So, um, but he he's got he's very gifted with the hands and you know just decisions with the puck. Um, and I think if I remember correctly, later on, even that year he got called up to the you know the American League in Milwaukee there a couple of games. So. Um, yeah, he had he had some very nice hands. I never played against him in college, but uh, but he he was a gifted hockey player. He was. Was he, he was, fun to play with? I mean, did you enjoy playing with him? Yeah, I mean, he wasn't the you know the he wasn't the grinder you know the guy that's gonna you know battle. I mean, he battled in the corners. Don't get me wrong, but he, you know he he was he was a goal scorer. Okay, and uh, so I think you know. I you think go. the grinding game would be good for him though, because he's not a small guy. No, no. I mean, and like I don't want to, I don't want to paint that picture like he he was a just a goal scorer. But I mean, he, you know, that was where he where his skill lied. Right. It was, yeah, inability to finish. And us players with no hands kind of took care of his business. <laughs> <laughs> we made sure he looked good, right? right. Yeah, we made sure that he got the goal. After so the whistle, did. we we would help out. Yeah. yeah. So. Nice. Well, John, what do you remember playing against him? I mean, do you? Like, like, I said, I only played against him one time. Okay. You know, yeah. I just remember he was a bigger guy and he had skill. Yeah. No, he had, he had a really, you know, what he had a really nice shot. Okay. Um, and he put together, you know, a couple or a nice shot with pretty nice hands you're going to get some scoring opportunities especially in power plays where that's where he just he he was a just the go-to he was that skilled guy that you always wanted to have out on the first one yep you know and the Eau Claire teams at that time at least when I played were not what they are now Mm. you know they they were not the national power that they are no yeah they absolutely were not you know and I mean when you played you were you're going against the Hicks brothers which was a whole different beast yeah yeah they were uh that was a fun little competition. <laughs> uh, just every team had, you know, like the Barahonas on point, and I mean, it was. You know, there was guys about, in the NHL. They'll think you know. about that exactly. Stevens Point has Ralph Barahona who played in the NHL. Yeah. Eau Claire has Alex Hicks who played in the NHL, and that that was at the same time. Yeah. Coming out of one D three conference, that's incredible. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, it it was it was fun. I really enjoyed. You know, I really enjoyed playing junior hockey, but I, the best hockey that ever was playing up here. I mean, it was it was so much fun. It, the competition was unbelievable. It was unreal. Like you, just players, you know, like the Chris Campbells and Travis Rekka, Donnie Dwell, those guys. I mean, just, you know, they're, some of them are still top 10 scorers, and you just you, you forget how good, you know. And then you put them, how would they be like if they were playing right now? And I, I'd still say they'd be just as good so yeah I'm a big believer in that if you have any a really good player he or she's gonna be a really good player regardless yeah. of yeah I mean they're you're just gonna plug them in and they're gonna be fine right you know guy like me I could not play today no 
It's way too fast. Yeah. I could not keep up with the game today. I'm with you. No, there's no You're way. You're selling yourself into the bend of the game as... Oh, I definitely benefited from the clutch and grab era of hockey. Yeah. Okay. There's no doubt about All that. Right. Well, I, I always I knew you were a grinder, John. Yes. I, just... <laughs> I, I was never fleet of foot, and the even the slow guys today are quite a bit faster than I was. For all the Christmas, you know, every team, you know, at Christmas, you do like joke Christmas gifts. And for three times from juniors to college to the pro level, I was given a rope because I held people so much and just <laughs> they tied them up, you know. So, I mean, it was that's how I, I got away with a lot. Like you just said, John, just clutch and grab and hang on sometimes and. You know, guys would have been living in the penalty boxes. If you're yeah. a crafty veteran, you know how to get <laughs> oh, away yeah. with that stuff, oh, yeah. though. And that was the the beauty is I, I I knew how to get away with stuff, and you know I just didn't get caught. Yeah, because my my penalty minute numbers were, you know, I'm definitely not a, a career leader by any means. I was just smart about it. Right. Yeah. You gotta know what you can and what can't. Yeah. You know what they're gonna let you do and what you're not. You know, you can get in their corner a little bit, give them a little bit of a tug. Um, don't haul a guy down at center ice, <laughs> you know, in front of everybody. You know, those kind of things are going to get you every time. But, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, hockey, just like every other sport, I suppose, has changed in the term, you know, in terms of how the speed of the game is played. And the I mean, it's, it's changed even since you've been the head coach here. Oh, yeah. You know, over oh, that yeah. stretch. It's, it's probably yeah, changed so. twice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's forever changing. And, uh, you know, it, it's almost even on the men's side, it's like they're taking so much of the physical part of the game away. And yet on the women's side – we're going the opposite direction. It's getting more physical. You know, it, it's kind of funny, you know, and I think pretty soon there's going to be that change even a little bit more with the women's side, with maybe allowing, you know, board checking a little bit and not open ice, but it's forever changing. Yeah, they, the, the women's players definitely learn how to body up yeah. while oh, getting yeah. called for checking, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, it's been interesting to see that kind of how that's evolved over time because for a while it was just don't touch them. Right, and now it's well, lean on them a little bit, but you know, don't outright just hit somebody. Is that something you'd be in favor of? Yeah, I mean, I I do. I think on the boards, on the board play, you know, as long as it's, you know, just like kind of how it's called in the men's, you don't want anything from behind or anything. But I think the open ice is something you want to eliminate. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, to me, it's just a law, right? When two people are kind of going fast there's going to be a collision at some point and um you know I, I i like it the way it is but i'd like a little bit more leeway just on the board play you know? sage patrick would have loved if it was legal along yeah, the wall yeah <laughs> yeah we had a couple of those players Ashley martin kelsey yeah. perkis i can uh, keep going down the list a little bit yeah. oh yeah but it's changed i mean things are getting faster and uh Whenever you add speed to anything, there's when there's a collision, it's going to be a little more. Well, in hockey, damage. especially too, because it is such a fast-moving game, yeah. and um, you know there's a potential for some heavy collisions there. And I know everybody's afraid of that at a certain point, and there's justification for that. But at the same time, it's kind of part of the game. Yeah. And so, how you police that, I guess, is a is difficult. I mean, I'm and I'm t- coming at this from a non-hockey guy angle, you know. So, I don't know. I mean. I've heard arguments both ways. I remember I had an interesting conversation during one of your games. I was working the penalty box, actually, against River Falls. Hmm. And uh, one of their players um, was sitting in the box because she had an extended penalty, <laughs> shall we say. She had a double minor for something. I can't remember what it was. But we were chatting a little bit, actually, and I asked to her, how do you feel about the physicality part of the game? She's like, well, I don't mind bodying up, she said, but 
I would not be in favor of checking because I couldn't handle it. Like physically, I would probably break down. And so it was kind of a different, you know, it was kind of a different perspective. But she was very honest about it. I mean, I just sort of was making conversation with her because she was going to be in there for a while. <laughs> but she said, yeah, she said it's it's a it's a you know, it's a topic of conversation that we talk about on our team and our coaches talk with us about it. You know, Joe Cranson brings it up to his players and um I'm interested to get the players' perspective too on how they feel about checking and hitting in the women's game. I I don't know what the answer is, but that was the first time I had gotten a, a, a feel from a, a women's hockey player kind of live in the moment. How do you feel about checking? And she said, it, I would be okay. She said, but I'd be worried about my ability to take it. That was her kind of her, her stance. I don't know if. Yeah. No, I mean, it's uh, it's it's a mindset, you know. Um, yeah. In men, you better keep your head up. I mean, when you right. got that puck, it's coming. So, again, with the women, um, on the women's side, you know, you're not expecting someone to come and, you know, just wipe you out. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so it's a, it's a different mindset. Yeah. yeah. I know you got a game tomorrow and I know you like to do some prep day before. So we'll get you out of here, Daniel. Thanks for stopping by. Mm-hmm. All the best tomorrow. And uh, hey, here's to you getting to that mini game. Yep. That's uh, the dreaded mini game. <laughs> it's, it's time. Uh, it is. And I, I thought about it on the bus right home. And um, I don't know if it could happen a better way of winning tomorrow and then that mini game that would be huge for this group and they deserve it they really do they deserve for all the hard work you know instead of getting shut down or this and this and this like they just I want them to just have smiles tomorrow so we'll do our best and and hopefully we get it done he's Yellow Jacket women's hockey coach Dan Laughlin we'll be right back with more of Eye of the Swarm Orkers Island Inn is now hiring and there's a position just for you. Apply for front desk, housekeeper, bartender, server, cook, and dishwasher. We're hiring great people like you. Call or click for more information and apply today. Final segment of this week's Eye of the Swarm. And uh, we talked about the chaos a little bit in the open, Matt, and... um, not quite as crazy and busy this week, but it's it's starting to ramp up now when you're going to get the uh, the spring sports in full swing and then adding those fall sports in too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're we're in that crossover season, which we would normally never have in the spring, but right now we do. Oh, so, you do, but it's just... Not this kind of crossover. It, not though. like this. No. This is... Uh, it's usually done by now. Three seasons are overlapping in one week. In, yes. Or in, in, actually more like a couple weeks, and that's not something that ever happens no it doesn't <laughs> so we're only we only two seasons only overlap now we have three seasons overlapping this is a so first um it's just is that's COVID 19 for you um as you heard uh yellow jacket women's hockey team will be on the road again tomorrow coach dan laughlin we just let him go so he could get ready for this game tomorrow against uwo claire game two of their umac or umac wyack tournament semifinal series if the yellow jackets can pull off the win then they'll have a mini game Dreaded twenty-minute mini game, which is an interesting way to go about deciding. I hate things. it. I know you've always hated it. I've always hated it. Um, I, just, I feel like it's a terrible way to finish a playoff series, and for one team, in most cases, an awful way to end your season. Yeah, because now it all boils down to twenty minutes. Yep, and it's just yeah, it, it, it's a quick turnaround from the previous game. Because what is it, about an hour in between? Is that what it is? Is that what the, it's? They resurface. That's it. It's 
15 minutes. Ugh. It's not an hour. It's 15 minutes. They'll bring a Zamboni out, do the ice, and it's then... It's basically the equivalent of, let's get they, this thing and done. And then they come back yeah. and start a new game. Ugh. That's rough. That doesn't count statistically. It doesn't... Nothing counts. It just determines who's moving on. It's basically the hockey version of a shootout. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, 5 p.m., the opening face-off from Hobbs Ice Arena in Eau Claire tomorrow. It was supposed to be two. Now it's five. Mm-hmm. And if the Yellow Jackets, like I said, win, they'll play the minigame. And then if they win that, a couple of what-if scenarios here, they'll take on the winner of Stevens Point and River Falls for the title. But, uh, like I said, a lot to be done between now and then for right. that to all happen. But, uh, yeah, we haven't had the dreaded minigame come up for a while. So no. It's been a couple of years. Uh, but that's the Yellow Jackets' hope to move on as we uh, record this podcast on a Thursday morning in Superior. Anyway, uh, men's hockey, meanwhile, thanks to their semifinal game against UW River Falls that was scheduled for last night, being canceled due to COVID-19 protocols, they have one game for all the marbles. They're going to head down to Stevens Point, take on the pointers in the WIAC Tournament Championship game, 7 p.m., the opening face-off, 6-3, the pregame. And like I said, that's for all the marbles. So mm-hmm. interesting. It's it's, it's an interesting way to go about it. It, it is. It's <laughs> all of this is just it's strange. Yeah, it's strange. Like these guys know today is their last practice. Yep. They know tomorrow. There's no is NCAA their last tournament game. this there's year. So. No, yeah, yeah, it's it's weird. This is it. They're this playing for it. a trophy tomorrow, and that's yep. it. You're playing to hang a banner and and put a trophy in the trophy case. Yep. And so 7 p.m. I'll be interested to see it though. I'll try to tune in if I can. I will be tuned in. Yeah. Yeah. I, by the way, nice. Article in the in the Telegram. Oh, thank you. Uh, I know Dom pretty well. Uh, if, for those of you who don't know, um, the Telegram ran a short story on my partner sitting to my left now, John Garber, who's been broadcasting road games from his office. In case you did not know that, he's been having to rely on video feed to do that. <laughs> um, and it's been an interesting broadcasting experience for all involved. I've had to do it with UMD in the past. I've never had to do it at UWS. You've had to do it throughout the year. And... Uh, I thought it was a good article. I thought it, uh, it definitely highlighted the struggles and the difficulties of, <laughs> of broadcasting from a monitor versus being actually in person at the game. But yep. I thought you covered it pretty well. You miss it, you you just miss out on so much, and you try to explain to people. It's not just that it sounds like you're in a office. Yeah, yeah. You know, because it's just your voice. There's no ambient sound at all. It's just your voice. Right. Yeah. Which is distracting, by the way. It if is. You're a broadcaster. Yes, yeah. it is. And just not being able to hear. Skates on ice, players talking, officials talking. Right. You know the puck hitting boards, sticks, posts. It's it's hard. And there's the practical difficulties of not being able to see in the corners and can't see corners. Yeah. Jersey numbers are hard to make out on a monitor. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot of pitfalls to it. Yeah, it's very very difficult. But uh, John will give it one more go. One more from his office tomorrow. Hopefully, this is the last time ever. <laughs> 7 p.m. again, the opening face-off. John will be on with the pregame at 6.30. Well, I'm, I'm sure your pregame will be good, though. I hope the, so. Yeah, because I <laughs> I feel like you've got that half hour down. I know you're pretty excited about that. So. Uh, it's it's nice to have that extra time. Yeah, absolutely. Women's volleyball, meanwhile, will be on the air as well with yours truly. Uh, they are in, in action actually this evening. Uh, I'll be back on the air. 7 p.m., the opening serve against Northland College. Third time they've played the Lumberjills already this year. And then they're supposed to be done with them for 2021, but... Again, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. 7 p.m., like I said, the opening uh, serve there. I'll be on between 6.40 and 6.45. It'll depend on how much uh, interview time I get. But uh, they'll be taking them on, and then they'll be back, or they're supposed to be back, at least on Saturday, taking on Crown, both those contests at the Mertz. 3 p.m., the opening serve, and again, I'll be on between 2.40 and 2.45, depending upon how long me and uh, Coach Lynn Diedrich discuss matters in our pregame interview. 
Women's softball this week, they are on the road again, going a little bit further south this time, though, going down to Dundas, Minnesota, which is uh, back in my old stomping grounds when I was a St. Olaf Ole. There you go. I'll be taking on Concordia Moorhead in the doubleheader. 2 and 4 p.m., the opening pitches down there at the Dundas Dome. Good name. Dundas Dome in Dundas, Minnesota, which is, quote-unquote, a suburb of Northfield. Now, if Got you it. ever get a suburb of Northfield, that's Dundas is it. Okay. Um, but they do have a really nice indoor facility there, which is why everybody's playing softball. Right. So, um, yeah, 2 and 4 p.m. against the Cobbers. And then on Wednesday, because I'm not sure when we'll be recording again, I just thought I'd throw this out there. They're supposed to be crown again down there as well at the Dundas Dome. That'll be, again, 2 and 4 p.m. So games for Coach Melissa Fracker in softball. Tomorrow, doubleheader against Concordia Moorhead. And then this coming Wednesday against Crown at uh, the Dundas Dome. And both those team, both those uh, contests are doubleheaders, and both of them will start at 2 and 4 p.m. So if you keep all that straight, good for you. Good job, everyone. I will. <laughs> Men's and women's tennis were idle last week, as we talked about in the uh, – First segment, but they are back in action this Sunday. They'll be taking on Minnesota Morris at Lydia Thuring Fieldhouse, both the men and women, by the way. 1 p.m., the opening serve, um, and uh, I got a chance to watch them against Bethany. I thought they played pretty well. They played real well against Bethany. Yeah, especially coming off of a tough loss against uh, Eau Claire the night before. Yep. So, And then baseball. Baseball is kind of running an interesting schedule right now. Um, they did not play last week. They played earlier on today, as we record this on a Thursday. They played Concordia Moorhead in a doubleheader at U.S. Bank Stadium. First pitch was at 7 a.m., and then game two was at 9.30. They will also take on Minnesota Morris on Tuesday at U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis. Again, 7 and 9.30 a.m. So they're doing the 7 and 9.30 a.m. red-eye version of baseball here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, I, I, but again, it's <laughs> it you, is what it is. It's the hand you're dealt when you're you're dealing with a facility that's running close to 24 consecutive hours, right? On yeah. rentals right now, so you know you, you get what you get. Yeah, I mean, and that's basically it. And and, then, uh, and then you know, part of this too is with no spring break trip this year, a lot of the games you'd be getting in down in Florida or Arizona, wherever you go, you're having to make those up somehow now. Yep. So you're playing at 7 a.m. at US Bank Stadium. Yep. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, for two dates, a couple pair of double headers. Yep. So that's what's coming up this week. Uh, things are really going to get kicked into high gear over the next couple weeks because men's and women's soccer will jump into the fray as well. So, um, yeah, it's going to be really busy. I think this uh, we have we're going to have five teams in action. The, yeah, the, the next and, the next six to eight weeks are going to be really busy. You know, five, and then that doesn't even count men's and in, men's and women's indoor or outdoor. Excuse me, track and field. So right. or golf. Yeah, or golf. Yeah, that's right. Forget about golf. Yep. Golf has been off for so long. I right. It's you hard forget, to you forget about it. So yeah, you know, every time you get a day like yesterday where you get that kind of snow, it pushes golf season back a little bit further. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a tough one. But it's going to be a busy six to eight weeks, and we're going to do our best to make sure we keep everybody up on top of it. But uh, that'll do it for this week's edition of Eye of the Swarm for the big. Oh, one more Mac- thing. Okay. Uh, congratulations, to Coach Mooney. Yes. Yes, indeed. I've almost forgot, but I want congratulations, to make sure. congratulations Coach Joe to... Mooney on the addition yeah. of the family. Yep, uh, daughter number three. Daughter number three was born what two, three days ago, I guess. Uh, Sunday, maybe Sun- Saturday yeah. or Sunday. I can't so, remember exactly, but I think it was I think it was Sunday. The only th- reason I remembered, it, <coughs> and I'm glad I did, is because we talked about men's and women's soccer jumping into the fray. Uh, yeah, so Coach Mooney and his wife Rachel welcome their third daughter. So congratulations to the Mooneys. Mm-hmm. Uh, a third one to add to the. The growing family. Alexa, the oldest one, Kayla, and the youngest one's name? Leah. 
Leah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there you have it. There you go. So congratulations to the Moonies. Congratulations and, uh, to the Mooney family. Yeah. And uh, like you said, it's going to be busy. It's going to be busy. Especially in the Mooney house now. Woo! <laughs> A full soccer season with a newborn? Especially with... Glad it's you and not me, my friend. (laughs) Right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So So for our engineer, Elliot Swery, for the Big Sound, Matt Johnson, I am John Garver. Thank you very much for listening to this week's edition of Eye of the Swarm. (laughs) 